to the glue guys this is mike here say hello brian hello check us out at bk glue guys on twitter netsdaily.com almighty baller brian the nets are back um did you watch some games (laughs) (laughs) i watched two games back to back on back to back nights brian yeah it was so thrilling basketball how about that mitch creek game at the celtics i spent (laughs) spent a lot of time covering mitch creek's humble beginnings you know um why is that why are we spending so much time on that you know i think we assume he has humble i mean i know we now know his story that he does have humble beginnings but just by having the name mitch creek uh you (laughs) he has to have humble beginnings i I get they were spending so much time on that underdog story i felt like he like i was like does this guy have one leg or something what's what's gonna (laughs) (laughs) why why it is fairly incredible that that yeah. that dude, out of like all the dudes in the world, is playing in the NBA. You Why know? he's like a six seven like you know athlete? <laughs> what, <laughs> what is what is? Well, I mean, I get it. It's like a long shot, but it's not insane. He's he's tall. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's tall. He's a fifty percent chance if he's that tall of being good at basketball. No, it's just that he's not even that good in the G League. He's mm-hmm. not he's not like, you know, you see guys who go down to the G League like Chris McCullough who scores 30, 15 and 5 every game and Mitch Creek's like putting up a respectable I think it was like 14 and 6. Like just a solid like solid Rondé Hollis Jefferson numbers but yet in the G League. And then he but he gets the call up. He gets the call up and gets put into the game. I mean, one yeah. of the best NBA debuts in NBA history. They're like we're not shooting for the stars here. We just need we just need Mitch Creek to fill out this roster tonight. <laughs> what's McCullough, What's Chris McCullough doing? I haven't thought about him in a while. Is he still around? I know. And I remember being one of the other, like, how Paula tweet segments, being kind of excited about the Nets picking him. I thought that was, like, a smart pick because he got hurt at Syracuse. He was good at Syracuse before he got hurt. He was talented, but I don't think he's doing anything right now. I was uh, – so you saw that Jared Dudley tweeted that thing with, like, hey, Nets fans, like, you know, where are you at? We're a playoff team, you know, yeah, doing that thing. And I was just looking through the thread, and one of the guys is like, hey, I'm a Nets fa- fan. Hook me up, Jared. And he posts pictures of his, like, Nets watching den. It is the most Nets watching den I've ever seen. It's, like, so – <laughs> it's like, I've got to see this. It's the best because, like – Everything is sort of junky, and it's like it's all fragmented, right? Because of like the fifteen different rebrands that the you know Nets have been through over the years. Um, and he has like framed Isaiah Whitehead's <laughs> jerseys, <laughs> and it's in a line. It's Isaiah Whitehead, Mason Plumley, Brick Lopez, Jeremy Lin jerseys <laughs> lined up. <laughs> it's just we got to get this guy on the pod. We have to real. record it's... at his. In his basement. Why are we not in his basement right now? I know. It's perfect. Um, I love that guy. And he should. He should get all the tickets. You know what's a delight is, so I Google Mitch Creek, and what article pops up, but yet the the Sydney Morning Herald's uh, write-up about Mitch Creek's debut in the NBA, which mm-hmm. is just absolutely delightful. 
Um, it includes the fact that, you know, so that he came in because of the free throws, that the Celtics picked him off the bench to shoot the free throws. Uh, they call they say that the Nets, who only had 10 fit players, fit is a, a term I love, you hear it in soccer all the time, um, they list the Celtics stars starting with Jalen Brown, the number one star on the Celtics, then Jason Tatum, and center spelled T-R-E, Al Horford, um, mm. and the best stat of the night. Mitch Creek was the only Nets player with a plus-minus of plus six points when on the court. Mm. Which tells you everything gives, you need to know. It tells you everything you know. The dude, the dude, if he played the whole game, the Nets would have won. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of that fourth quarter benching story, huh? This goes back into it. And this one, this is actually the first time where they actually like pointed to a thing. Like there's like yeah. a, a shred of evidence, some kind of 50 50 ball that it's such BS. I, it's, I wonder if D'Angelo's in on it. And, you know, obviously that game wasn't headed in the right direction. It was also getting pretty scrappy and chippy. And uh, they're like, yo, we want to probably win tomorrow. Let's pull, let's yank D'Angelo for the fourth. Start, you know, doing that San Antonio really, like, managing people's minutes stuff in, in thoughtful ways instead of just burning yourself out, getting roasted by Marcus Smart. Um, See, like, I, I really don't think – I don't think it was the back-to-back. And that was asked why? of both – Why? You think it was really the 50-50 ball? I think it was really that Kenny was ma- – I think low-key Kenny is – Kenny Atkinson, the head coach of the Nets, is low-key <laughs> sort of insane. Because he does this all the time to players. All the time he pulls them for sort of things that, like in baseball, if you don't run out a grounder, Kenny Atkinson would bench you if you're you're his MLB manager. He does that in basketball all the time. Um, He does it to D'Angelo Russell all the time. And I imagine it's because he's probably frustrated by the way D'Angelo plays at times. Um, Where's your tinfoil hat, dude? This is, you're not even... Dude, dude, this goes beyond, and I'm not even like... I'm not anti-benching D'Angelo completely in that spot. Like, yes, he is the team's all-star, and because Lavert's out and now Dinwiddie's out, like, it's all D'Angelo, and you would think that they would let him get away with some stuff. But actually, it's probably the best thing for D'Angelo Russell not to get special treatment, quote-unquote special treatment, it's particularly at this time when yeah. he could get away with it the most. I am I am keying in on the fact that they're actually giving us a shred of evidence as the piece of evidence that there isn't <laughs> <laughs> that isn't like a justifiable reason for not going after a 50-50 ball are you out of your mind? That's the reason for point. If you really really trying to win that game, that's not a reasonable. That's like so crazy that you're like you're actually crazy like you can't feed yourself and you know, you're living in a in a box. That's well, here, here are the direct quotes from Kenny after, and again, so we we will talk about the Bulls game and sort of D'Angelo's comeback game, the massive, his own flu game, his comeback game. But this is what Kenny said after, what was it, the Celtics game. It was, it why he was asked by, I think, um, I forget who asked him this question, but it was, why was D'Angelo benched in the fourth quarter? Was it a teachable moment? That was that term, teachable moment, was used. Kenny says it was rebounding in the zone. I felt like there were a couple of rebounds he could have gotten. Teachable moment. There were some subs that were playing good. Dot dot dot. Back to back. He he did mention the back to back. And then Russell talks about it, and Russell even admits I missed a rebound 50-50 play that set him off a little bit. I've got to be better. Something I've got to think about going into next time. We need those plays. Um. I do think that – I think it's just – Kenny Atkinson has suddenly gotten the reputation of being a point guard whisperer, 
okay, with what he's done with it. Every point guard in his system puts up points. Just that's what happens, which is not that uncommon in the NBA, but that's what's happening with his system. He's also super-duper hard on point guards, it seems like, and uh, he is very willing to sit D'Angelo. I mean, at that game, it was 8.42 left in the fourth quarter. I have it 97-90 Celtics, not out of control, completely within the parameters of, like, Nets are still competitive in this game. The probably the percentage chance that they would win that game is still like thirty eight percent. Thirty eight percent? No, dude, you're not reading. Yes. The, you're not reading the tea yes. leaves there. That was like a ten percent chance of winning that game. We were about to get. Yes, dude. There's no way we were. I not get, only read the tea leaves. <laughs> I, I I I read them out loud. I did an audible book about those tea leaves. Percent is just bonkers. That thirty eight percent legitimate. I guarantee. If we go back into ESPN.com, play-by-play, GameCast, <laughs> and we looked at what was the percentage that that's had at that time, because that's never wrong, Brian. We know that ESPN's <laughs> percentage for one game is never wrong. It would be 38%. I don't and you know need me on that wall. You need me on that wall. All this time, all this energy, in, in just, like, not... Here's the thing. Because Kenny Atkinson can't go and say, yeah, I yanked him because I wanted to save him from the next game. This game was a wash. We were, you know, waving the, the white flag. We didn't want to be there, you know? I didn't want to have my guy get hurt. It's that simple. It's it's classic San Antonio managing minutes. There is the I think specifically against the Celtics. I do agree with you that the Nets have done that because the previous game against the Celtics, what the Nets I think like a terrible lineup out there for many many minutes, yes. and they did not they rested a bunch of dudes. They don't, they don't give them their best look, and they also play like ten possessions of zone which is the weirdest like why why do they only play zone against the celtics every like what do you make of the zone one-fifth of the game it's so strange you, are you pro zone or anti-zone right now what's that are you pro or anti-zone i mean i love a zone as a as as cues guys come on i mean cues guys yeah it's couple of cues guys uh no i just i like the idea of a zone more than i like actually like it like what its results i think um but yeah, I just think it's. I think anytime that you're doing something interesting on defense, like I'm, I'm on board. Like let's experiment, let's get crazy. You know. Yeah, because most of defense at this point is either like, do you switch or do you not switch? Right. Is your do, does your big man press up on screens or does he like shoot back down to the basket? Is that like that is it? That yeah. is the complexities of defense. Are we NBA. icing? Who's icing? Are we gonna ice this play? No. Okay, we're not icing. But like, but so yeah, I get excited when I see the zone for like the first. Maybe let's say five seconds of that possession when it crosses half court. I'm like, ooh, we got a zone going on. But then when the team who has the ball makes like three passes, I'm just like, oh, someone's wide open. Also, rebounding is horrific. When you have a zone, I mean, obviously, as Syracuse fans, we see this every year. You get we- The other team gets weak side offensive rebounds, and they- then they get dunks immediately. It becomes like, yeah, it's harder to shoot the ball inside the the, the three-point line. But then once you get an offensive rebound, you're done for. It's like, ugh. But – Whatever, I'm fine with it. You know what's interesting is that Kenny Atkinson also said after the Celtics game about Travion Graham. Someone asked him specifically, Travion didn't play that game, and he mentioned how important it is that Travion Graham comes back and plays basketball for the Nets. Where are we, Brian? What world are we living in? I mean, I come on, number one Travion Graham fan right here. I'm part of the Graham fam, but like. Trayvon, like Trayvon Graham you're is not, somehow you're not part of the Graham fam. You're the patriarch of the Graham fam. <laughs> you are Papa Graham. I but, so I don't know what happened. Like, how did he become? He is the linchpin to the Nets bench unit in terms of least defense. Like, he just suddenly is like is completely relied upon. 
And he does make a difference, man. He makes you know, a difference when he's out there. Who uh, has well, two things. Uh, he did a, a very nice job when he was when he was defending Zach Levine, who who gives us specifically a lot of problems. Um, yes, I did play Zach Levine in Daily Fantasy because <laughs> I had a hunch he would be good. Mm-hmm. A hunch. Um, but you know who actually looked good? And people were talking about this, is, and I was noticing how springy Triboy Jabari Parker looked. He was really yeah. had a lot of bounce. What happened? Because for for longest time he was like you know mellow two point but like not that good. Which which sort of the implication in that is that he's not going to be springy. He's going to be sort of you know kind of chunky mm-hmm. and uh, back him down, turn around Jays. He was slamming on dudes, slamming yeah. on dudes, absolutely getting up quick. Yeah. Um, His uh, I was looking at this so um, Kevin Anderson of. NBC, uh, <clears throat> Jabari's per 36 minutes, always a great stat to use per 36 since he rejoined the Bulls in January 12th, um, or the rotation, Th- 29.1 points per game on 63% field goal percentage, 47% three-point percentage, and, you know, a bunch of rebounds and assists, who cares? Um, but those percentages, you know, those don't change per 36, am I right? No, it's it's. I mean, Jeremy Lin is uh, James Harden. If you did per thirty six, so, mm-hmm. um, so let's talk about that Bulls game for a second. So, just coming off back to back, being up in Boston, the Nets come back home. A, a, you know, classic letdown game against a really bad team, one of the worst teams in the NBA. Um, Bulls were feisty. Uh, they were pretty aggressive all throughout the game in actually trying to win the basketball game. The Nets were less feisty for parts of it, uh, but they obviously pulled out and got the W all because of D'Angelo Russell, right? Like, what was it, 30 and 7, no turnovers, though we almost had a turnover at the end where there's that weird play where, like, four different guys touched the ball as it was rolling on the ground, but eventually mm-hmm. got to Joe Harris for the bucket. That was a key basket. Um, I think this is important. This game is, like, because you were talking about this within your within your theory about the Nets tanking the Celtics game is the thought that like we should beat the Bulls. They needed to beat the Bulls. If they had lost to the Bulls, that would have like really start to put like okay, we lost Spencer Dinwiddie, we lost against the Celtics, which isn't terrible. But then you lose to the Bulls at home, that's inexcusable. That the doubt begins to creep in. The doubt of like, well, maybe that team was just hot for a month, but. The Bulls stink, and they won. They I feel won like I've, the game. I feel like I've I've successfully gotten you to put your tinfoil hat back on. I feel like that's <laughs> what just happened. Um, are, are, what what stood out to you overall? I mean, yeah, I mean, to to your point, that like, I, there's a couple of these like really gross games that happen against the Bulls that I feel like are always like really indicative of the sustainable success potential of this team. You know, um, those are games that are, as you say trap games or whatever 100% um and you know the bulls are <clears throat> looking to you know tr- try to eke out wins against teams just like us um and they're trying pretty hard so uh yeah you know like when we you know come especially coming out flat looking bad not having a bunch of players and and still like grinding out wins suggests that there is something a, a ground floor of successful basketball to really work with um yeah I don't know. I'm a wee bit worried about our boy Jared Allen at the moment. He's certainly slumping. Um, he seems really uncomfortable when he's out there, especially with Shabazz Napier. Like, he, they really haven't figured out how to 
I mean, they didn't play all that many minutes before Dinwiddie got out because Jared really doesn't play with bench units and all that stuff. But well, since I think also D'Angelo found his shot and is shooting so well that like any time that they do that, <clears throat> like you know where D'Angelo puts his guy in jail and they're like rolling to the rim, like D'Angelo ends up doing a little push shot most of the time or like you know mid range shot and like mostly goes in. So the passes that used to be dumping down to Jared Allen for those like six points a game that got him up to his like average of twelve points or whatever. Um, outside of just putbacks and whatever, um, that those those are gone now. Those are just getting eaten up by by D'Angelo Russell. Well, to me, it seemed like every time, every time that him and Napier were running a pick and roll together, Jared Allen basically made the wrong decision. And I'm not like it's not like it was horrific. It's just like he didn't make the decision to roll when he should have rolled, and or he made the decision to roll when Napier was trying to go to the basket and he just drew his defender on him. I'm just a little like. I know this is the second year thing and there should be he is still way ahead of where he should be in the chart of progression right like of course he is he's part of the rising stars challenge shout out to Jared Allen and Rodion's Karooks who we also kind of maybe need to be a little bit worried about but I'm not as much still um it's just that like I wish I wish he could be more confident in rolling he's still not like where he needs to be as a as a role guy and it really stinks when like Dinwiddie's out of the game because like the Nets do need points to come from somewhere else it just cannot be Shabazz Napier completely filling it it is it needs to be Jared Allen Shabazz really wants to be filling the role of of new Spencer Dinwiddie it's pretty painful because he's just not a special he doesn't have the same mojo but he wants it he wants it so bad he's like I want to have that like you know up-tempo you know streaking pull up three and it's just like dude that's not that we don't well, want that from you. I'm sorry. Do you think? Do you think we don't? You and I don't want it from him necessarily. But do you think the coaching staff has given him the green light to do that? I wonder if they're just trying not to break his heart at this point. You know, because if they're <laughs> like, maybe they had that conversation where like, yeah, we need you to do what Spencer does, and then he's like, got it, can't do it, and they're like, yo, remember what we said? Don't do that anymore. <laughs> um, I think I don't know. I can't tell if that's where they're at, or if he just like sort of is going rogue and is like, I need to you know, cement my, my place in this rotation right now. Here's my opportunity to do it. And I'm going to put up a bunch of shots in the process. Um, I mean, like of, of all the guys doing what, like uh, having that mindset, I don't mind that Shabazz Napier is doing because there's really not going to be, you know, that many points coming out of too many other guys unassisted. Um, but I will be super happy when Spencer did when he comes back and we can stop doing this. Um, great tweeting by Spencer. I, I'm loving, you know, Spencer's uh, injured uh, frame of mind with him just tweeting during games love it keep it up but yeah but like it, I think it what it is is that it's it's harder for the Nets like while it may not be efficient offense to have Shabazz Napier um, you know basically playing hero ball with the second man unit it's easier to do that than like to be like okay we're gonna run our offensive system an offensive system that didn't exist with this bench unit because when Dinwiddie was in the game it was really just like Spencer, go to the basket or shoot a three or make a play for someone else. Like, I, I don't know what his usage rate was when D'Angelo was off the floor and it was just him, but I imagine it was one of the highest for a bench player in the NBA. It has to be, right? Um, just because of his 17 points a game and five assists or whatever it is. It's easier for the Nets to just sort of let Napier do Spencer Dinwiddie light, Diet Coke Dinwiddie, if you will, um, than like to try to install put back in that offense that like everyone's going to be sharing the ball. It's just, it's not as easy to do that. Um, but again, so I was looking at, by the way, D'Angelo Russell 
took 10 free throw attempts last night's is most of the season. Um, he's sort of like the one thing that's going to hold him back in his career as like being the next James Harden uh, is that he doesn't shoot free throws. Nice to see that he got to the free throw line. They put up a stat last night on yes, which was I hadn't seen before, which is incredible. That D'Angelo has like something like the most threes made in the NBA over like, what is it like a month and a half or just in all of January or something like that. Some, an extraordinary number of threes that have been made um, for a guy who sort of is thought of more of just sort of like a like not not a classic three-point shooter, not someone who's just going to constantly be putting up threes. Um, Brad Guy, anything else about those two games you want to discuss or you want to move on to the big Anthony Davis discussion? <laughs> oh, God. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I, I wish. I wish. <laughs> Can I – do another 20 minutes of Nets Bulls coverage? Um, Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. No, go ahead. Do it. Do what you got to uh, do. All right. Um, Brian, we'll get to the thing that you're dreading the most in a bit. <laughs> but first, but first, let's take a break and hear from our sponsors. Oh, nice. All right. Anthony Davis discussion. It needs to be had. It has to be had. It's just we are a podcast focused on one team. That one team is super interesting at the moment. It is a team that is player a player in trade discussions, and Anthony Davis is the biggest piece to be put out into the trade market in forever since yeah. Kareem. Some are saying so. So at this point, everyone that's probably listening to the show already knows all the all the stuff going on about it. Can I can I give you an, a more interesting take on this question from Trebuy Luis Torres? Please do. Um, let me find the email. Uh, so <laughs> Louise, um, thanks for writing out at, uh, netspot at gmail.com. He says, while everyone is worried about AD, I feel like Marks is looking at that situation differently. <clears throat> He's looking at the Pelicans as a dumping ground and maybe trying to pick up an ex- another ex Laker. Um, so, okay. Let's think about it from that perspective. Are there any Lakers that you would want on this team in, and what, what would a trade look like where you're dumping something and taking something back from the Lakers? You mean to so the to Nets assist make, in the AD trade, to assist in the AD trade, to be the oh. third team, to be the third team. Well, it was sort of hilarious that a report came out that if Lonzo Ball is a part of the AD trade, that he wants to go to a third team. He does not want to go to New Orleans, which is like, dude, if you're shooting forty percent from the field and from the free throw line, maybe I wonder, you don't make he, trade demands. Do you think he put that out there, or like somebody like in his camp did? Because like that, I mean, he that would suggest well, a real like lack of of understanding about where he is in his career right now. Do you know who his camp is? Right. (laughs) Of course. So I'm assuming that that's the case, but like if that actually came from Lonzo ball, that's like pretty, that's pretty scary stuff. It came from his dad. Most likely. I mean, it's not likely. Right. But everyone keeps attributing it to Lonzo ball. And I'm thinking, I don't, I, I don't know him that well, but it doesn't seem like a Lonzo ball thing to do. He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to be anywhere. He's like, can I just go like watch TV? I'm done. I don't want to do this. I think he would like to actually go to like Australia and play basketball with Mitch Creek, just yeah. like with the with the Adelaide 76ers or whatever that team is. Thirty sixers, like the thirty sixers. Excuse me. Uh, apologies to our all of our Adelaide listeners. Um, so okay, which which Laker would I want? I don't want any of them because um, they're all on one year deals. I understand that. Like, so we're talking about Brandon Ingram, maybe Kuzma. I don't want. I mean, yeah, I would want them if they were just floated to the team. If, like, they suddenly ended up on the Nets for nothing, I would be very happy. 
that's not going to happen. I mean, the other side to look at is who on the Pelicans do you want outside of Anthony Davis that could come over? Because there's a lot of discussion that Zach Lowe reported that he heard from teams over the weekend before the AD news became official, where that the Pelicans were putting out there that we're willing to trade Miritich for something. We're willing to trade Etwan Moore for something. Um, Drew Holiday, of course, is a piece that will likely be available if the AD thing ever happens. I would I would want Miritich if I wasn't so sure that he's exactly the kind of guy that comes to the Nets and starts sucking again. Like, that's exactly what he would do. To me, it's like... Or have we turned the corner with that? Has, has that curse been broken? Okay, so I think... So I think he would work with the Nets. I've been anti-Miritich for a long time because he's been like... He's sort of this mythical creature of this tall European who can shoot threes. But for when he was on the Bulls, he was actually not that good of a three-point shooter. Gets to New Orleans, becomes actually becomes pretty damn good. Um, and I understand what you're saying that like so would he come to the Nets and like stink? Um, I would have to say the Nets system is just as good as Alvin Gentry's system uh, in New Orleans. Alvin Gentry, you know, is a fine offensive coach, so it's like it's not that he's going from crap to good. He's just going from good to good. He's and um, but I almost feel like. The Nets are almost – it's just a weird thing because the way they've built the team is they have – they just have continuity. Continuity is the key to everything. Kenny Atkinson talked about this recently with – someone asked him about whether they should trade for Anthony Davis or something like that. I think someone asked him that direct question, and he says, I don't really – I he, he basically said, I know a time will come when we will have to trade players – that's not really my focus. My focus is to develop players and make them improve over time. And I do think it's valuable to have continuity because it's really helped us. Having continuity has allowed us to grow faster than if we just kept bringing in different players. He didn't say those exact words, but I'm paraphrasing. I think if you just shove a guy like Miritich onto the team, I don't know if he's like a successful for like 20 games. I think it would take them time to like just fit someone in like that. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, like, Karuk's pretty much just came in off the bench after not playing and is now super successful. Um, you want to go for uh, your boy Jaleel Okafor? Have you seen? Dude, I know. I'm have so you happy seen those memes? He's, he's like 21 and 11 over the past five games, something like that. Um, I don't know. I just saw, like, in fantasy, him got he got scooped up, and I was like, what is all this? And looked through his, his box scores, and he's just like 20 and 10 every night. Dude, I would be so happy if he became good or relevant in the NBA. Because, like, he, while I was excited when he came over to the Nets just to see what they had in him, and they obviously buried him on the bench like they did Kenneth Fareed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> by the way, this you, Kenneth Fareed thing. You sound upset about all this. No, it's just, no, no, no. I, I'm, I, at the time, I understood Jaleel not getting burned because really he wasn't going to be on the team. We had all the indication that. The trade they made with the 76ers was all about getting the Knicks pick. It had nothing to do with Stauskas and uh, Jaleel. Um, but, like, I'm, like, totally – I would be happy if Okafor – that would be a good story. That this guy who, if he was put in the NBA 15 years ago, he would be a max player. He would be a valued post-contributor for a team probably could have made a few All-Stars. He enters the NBA at the wrong time, and now maybe he's figuring out what he's supposed to be doing. Maybe he like he's structured his game in a different way. I haven't watched him play, but I see his points that he's putting up. It's pretty incredible. Um, do you want Anthony Davis on the Nets? <laughs> mm, <clears throat> no, not really. No. Um, I mean, obviously yes, but like not, 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 not 
for free, and I don't want to give up anything, and so that's not going to happen. So I don't want them. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that so? There's so much discussion, like you know, you see on Twitter, and we we kind of put this out on Twitter. You know, some people are so like, you do anything you can to get Anthony Davis, and I understand that. I don't want to make a trade for Anthony Davis because I just know how much you'd have to give up to get him. Like, you'd have to give up. So Zach Lowe floated this one trade possibility on his podcast. He was just talking about, you know, dark horse teams who could possibly be coming into the mix. And he brought up that the Nets, not reporting it, but saying the Nets, you know, this is, they're an ascendant team. They have a good young roster. If they made a deal, what would it look like? And he said D'Angelo Russell, Jared Allen, Nuggets first, Knicks second, future Nets unprotected first, Cap Feller, which would be like Damari Carroll and uh, Jared Dudley, I think, would have to be in that trade. Something like that for Anthony Davis. And then probably the Nets had to take back Solomon Hill or something. Because that's just like, what do you have to do? Okay, so what are you left with? You're left with Joe Harris, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karooks, Musa, Crab. Um, maybe Rondé if you sign him back for a small amount. Shabazz Napier would be back for another year. And then Anthony Davis. And then you would have cap space to sign potentially someone big. Not a horrible team. You wouldn't be ruining everything, right? You wouldn't be gutting your entire roster just to get Anthony Davis to put him in a situation that is horrible, but he's on your team. But what happened with Darren Williams, Brian? What did we? What happened with the Nets when they traded for Darren Williams? He demanded that they get better players around him. He demanded that they screw up any future plans that they could have been having to say, we need Gerald Wallace here. You know, like, you don't want to be put in a situation to trade for a star. It's different when you sign some a guy. But when you trade assets away for a star, you weaken your own team, and then you weaken your ability to build a team around that player. <clears throat> Anthony Davis is going to demand, as he should, to have a better team around him than... Joe Harris, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karooks, Musa Crab, and whoever else they sign in for agency, unless it was Kevin Durant. I just, it's too, it's too much risk. Of course, great reward. Too much risk, though. And the Nets really aren't going to have the best package. That's also the thing. The Nets aren't going to have the best deal. Like, the Knicks, I mean, the Knicks can offer Chris Stapps in a top five pick. They can just do that, and then they, they're they going to get Anthony Davis. That's just going to happen. Um is that is that the package that they're throwing out there? That's I mean I've seen that apparently Porzingis would not that like any of this has gotten anywhere. Porzingis would have to be in the deal apparently. Um, now he's a restricted free agent, so I don't know what the side and trade because remember like the Nets could like kind of make a run. Well, they can make a run at Porzingis and make it really difficult for the Knicks to <clears throat> to do what they want to do because like the big grand scheme for the Knicks would be to sign whoever they want in free agency, then go back with Porzingis. Like, the Nets want to do with D'Angelo. Uh, but the Nets could throw a max offer sheet at Chris Tapps and then, you know, screw up whatever the Knicks want to do, uh, which I would love. <laughs> you want to uh, know? I got a funny <clears throat> funny email from your boy John Fitzpatrick. It's a long one, very well written. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but one of the points is, um, so... He says, it would be fun to imagine what would Billy King do in this situation, huh. uh, <laughs> which I think is a funny thing to think because, like, 
while people have PTSD about Billy King or whatever, it at least was fun to always be a part of all these meme trades, like throwing out some name. Like we were always just like in the mix in some dumb way, you know, that's such a good point. That's um, such, yeah. <laughs> and as guys with podcasts, that's, um, that's obviously beneficial. Um, <clears throat> but anyways, he describes it as it would be like waving a baby in front of a pit bull. <laughs> um, anyways, um, so yeah, I'm, I mean, yeah. Anthony Davis is worth it, right? Like, he is legitimately worth whatever you could give up for him. It's just that, like, the question of the Nets are just coming out of this horrible trade that they made all those years ago, and to then just flip all that around to, for a guy who you don't know if he wants to be here, he stated his intention is that he wants to win, while there's skepticism over that, that, like, he really just wants to go to the Lakers, which he would win with the Lakers, but, like... It would be – Marks would immediately have to shift from, like, slow growth development into accelerated timeline immediately. And not that he's not prepared for that, but you – by trading for Anthony Davis, you have to believe that you're going to get another big player, which comes to the point of the segment that Brian does not want to do, but I'm going to make him do it. This is part of our new series called Scripted Podcasts, okay? This is where – we set up a scenario oh. that I'm going to make Brian read like a movie script from, and he's going to hate me for it's, doing it's it. Even, it's even written in the stupid typewriter font of like a movie <laughs> script. <laughs> Courier, <email>. baby. <laughs> yeah. Courier. So this is what – okay. This is – let me lay this out for you before we get into our acted piece here. Brian is going to play the role of Adam Harrington, Nets assistant coach, Kevin Durant's former shooting coach. I will play the role of Kevin Durant. This scenario is the only scenario with which you would trade for Anthony Davis. This scenario is getting confirmation or at least um, half confirmation that if you trade for Anthony Davis that you will then have a really good shot at getting Kyrie or Kevin Durant or those are the only two guys. For me, that matters. Maybe Klay Thompson, but that's so that there's no connection there. Maybe Kawhi Leonard. Maybe I'll throw him in the mix. But this is part of our scripted podcast series, Brian. Oh God! If you guys Where, saw the script, you would. I'm, I want to die. I just want to curl up in a ball and die. Brian, why are you play? doing this to me, Mike? Why? why, why did I this? will read. I will read the the opening mark of the script, and then I will start as Kevin Durant, and you will hear my voice change dramatically. Brian will be again Adam Harrington, Nets coach. Interior luxury condo in san francisco espn's first take is blaring in the background a personal chef in home is steaming some broccoli a phone rings hey adam what's up oh god (laughs) (laughs) this is so i can't believe how this how fast this just started happening anyways all right i'm in character here i go hey adam what's up oh yeah (laughs) kd my brother how you doing Good man, just chilling. What's good with you? Uh, everything. We kind of had a weird one in Boston last night, or two nights ago actually. But we're doing this <laughs> thing where we are playing possum a bit with them, a little rope a dope. We took D'Angelo out of the game very early, trying to get everyone off our scent. You know. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. But I don't like the pregnant pause. I don't. Why did? Why did that? Why <laughs> silence that? for? It says in the script, silence for three seconds, I Brian. Know, but and I read the script. Okay. All right. Sorry. I'll picking up from there. Um. So, Kitty, you've been you've been watching Vanderpump this year. I'm an episode behind the latest, but yeah, for sure. What's your take on uh, Stassi's mom? 
I mean, I have to defend her a bit. She shouldn't be on TV, but they put her on TV likely with the urging of her daughter, which is messed up. Yeah, but regardless of that, the woman did grab her daughter's junk wide open. Daughter's boyfriend. Sorry. Daughter's boyfriend. I was going to say, that didn't happen. Uh, In public, during her daughter's birthday party, there are very few lines in the Vanderpump world, but that seems to be one. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. All that makes sense. (laughs) Anyways, let me bend your ear for a hot second. Can you switch your phone to TM? Okay, we're good. Switched on tampering mode. What's up? All right, as as you know, the Nets are trying to make big moves this offseason. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We have to put together a package for the Pelicans that would get us Anthony Davis. <laughs> thing is... <laughs> is this your Jack Nicholson? Thing, this is incredible. Thing is, about the only thing left would be Levert, Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie. All right, all right, okay. Alan, Alan Crabb or whatever. My question is... We had those players, plus Anthony Davis. Would that be intriguing to you in any way? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. Wait. Reset. Yeah, I think I'd be intrigued for sure. All right. All right. That's all I needed to know. Give the best to your mom. Sure, sure. Best to you and yours. Give the best to your mom is so ominous at the end of that. Like, like hope, hope nothing, hope nothing happens to her. <laughs> shaking. That's how you read it. Yeah, it's not. That's not the intent. But I love. Yeah. Um, okay. Be a real and- shame. <laughs> Be a real shame. <laughs> that's how the Nets operate now under Joseph Sai. They just threaten mothers. Mm-hmm. And scene. Thank you, everyone. For the first of a long-running series of scripted podcasts brought to you by Mike Smeltz and Brian Aiken. Brian! Yeah. Great line reading, Brian. No, right back at you. Really, you you carried it. Um, so that's the only... That's, <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, that's the only scenario with which it makes sense really to trade for Anthony Davis is that like there's a strong tampering indication that you're going to get someone like uh, Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. It sucks to me, though, that, like, it really does make – so the Pelican, the, the Lakers should offer all their young players and whatever picks they can for Anthony Davis because you get him and LeBron, and then you're going to get a third guy, and then you're going to get all, like, the um, championship ring chasers who will just sign up with the Lakers that don't want to be with the Warriors anymore. Probably there's going to be a lot of guys in the league that want to join the Lakers to beat the Warriors at that point, like, because everyone hates them, I imagine. Um it does stink to to me that the two other teams that do make the most sense are the Knicks and the Celtics. And it would really burn if the Knicks, while being a complete debacle, that Enos Cantor's sitting on their bench, go every game talking to the media about how he doesn't know what Damon Fisdale's doing, that he d- isn't allowed to be put into the games. It's so obvious that they're taking. They're taking worse than the 76ers ever have tanked in ever of the time of the process. But yet if they, because of that, get a top pick, trade that in Porzingis for Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant signs there, and then you know they make one more trade to get some other piece in there somehow that's like really good. That would really suck, Bri. <clears throat> because the Nets have been doing this so perfectly, and they obviously started from a place of disadvantage, and it's like, it's sort of like if you were 
if you were running against George W. Bush in the 2000 Republican primary, who I don't know, like John McCain. John McCain had, you know, a pretty rough life, but he fought really hard, had good public service, and then ran for president. And then, you know, a former president's son just sort of who had a kind of a bad past himself in a different way just kind of comes in and wipes you off the board. That's what it would be like for the Nets and Knicks. Who knew that was going to come out of my mouth, Brian? Yeah, for real. Who knew a wow. 2000 Republican primary reference was going to come out of my mouth, but it just did. Wow. Um, you Brian, really know your stuff. Um, where does this – we have trade deadline coming up. Do you think the Nets are going to make any significant deal at all? Do you have any sense of, like, any belief that maybe the Nets are going to swing something to happen here? Do you think we're just going to kind of kind of sit on our backs and kind of just let everything else happen to everyone else? Um, I think we're just going to chill. I really yeah. do. It just doesn't doesn't make sense on any level to be stirring this pot. Nothing's really going to be worth, you know, like unless you're swinging for the fences at this point. You know, <clears throat> it's harder to to really go up a tier in terms of our our uh, competitive play. You know, um, so just yeah, I mean, making you know lateral moves is, does doesn't seem to be something that we're we're going to be interested in. Are they going to sell any of their players? Are they going to? Do you think like? If they traded, let's say, like, Levert comes back, do they trade Napier for, like, a second-round pick or something? Oh, uh, I think that, like, you know, despite everything that we've, you know, we we were a little hard on Shabazz earlier, like, you know, he's, he's the reason that we're hard on him is the same reason we're hard on Ronda Health Jefferson is that for the most part, like, they're the only two players on the team that can, like, go out of their way to make a mistake, you know, and those mistakes are pretty um, optically not great. Um, but for better or worse, like he, he is one of the best, like he's at, you know, maybe the best third string point guard. And, you know, if Spencer Dinwiddie's, um, coming back, if he's slow to come back from that thing, if it's like, you know, the three to six week estimates, if it ends up being in the latter, um, didn't make too much sense to trade for what would be, you know, a position we super need at this point. Um, what, uh, Oh, I, I got to hit up. Um, I think the so what's weird about the trade deadline too is that the Nets obviously don't want to add salary for next year, but the only trades that they I think they really want to make would be a guy that would be here long term, right? So like Miritich makes sense from um, a basketball point of view that you he would fit beautifully on the Nets. He fills a position of need. He would let Karuks actually go to the bench, and you know. Karuks would be able to do what he's been doing for the starters, but do it with the bench unit, maybe be a little bit more effective and a little bit less pressure off of him, though I don't think Karuks really cares about pressure all that much because he's, he's, I absolutely love what I've been seeing from him. But the Nets are the type of team that don't want just to have rentals for five, four months or whatever's left of the season, three months. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's not their style, but of course they have, they want to have as much cap space as they possibly can going into free agency period this summer. So they're just in like a weird position where they have a few different wants, but their desires are contradictory to each other. They want long-term consistency, but they don't want to add caps, like add a guy onto their cap sheet for next season. So, I, I mean, the only trade I could really see happening would be, if the Nets could send Alan Crabb out and get someone in for the same salary amount, and if there's some 
if there's someone out there like I don't know Kent Bazemore or someone something like that, like some like comparable salary where you're not losing cap space for next summer, um, you're giving a team Alan Crab, which I don't know who would really want him, but he had been playing well before his injury. It's tougher now to trade him because of his injury. Um, it's very strange that we he's still not back. Don't know why. Um, I have some theories about that, but I don't know. Um, but that's the only thing I can see happening. Trading Alan Crabb, getting a guy for his same salary slot or maybe a little bit more and saying, you know, we're, we're hopefully going to upgrade what we're getting out of this salary amount than what we were getting out of Alan Crabb. But it's just unlikely that many teams in the NBA really want to trade for Alan Crabb at this point. It's unlikely. Um, Nicely done. You want to tie a bow on it? I heard you say I had to get out of here. Yeah, I have to go to St. Mark's Comics. They're closing down, and they have a, a store <laughs> emptying sale today. So I should be going. Um, I should Are go you co- covering it or just to get stuff? I'm, co- I'm covering it. Ah, uh, but also I want to get some stuff. You guys, uh, tune into CBS 888 AM for the St. Mark's liquidation sale story. <laughs> Coverage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, thank you so much for joining me, Brian. It really was a pleasure. As always, it's been great to be on your show. Thanks. It was great acting with you. It was yeah. a, a real delight. You know what? I was I was pained to do it, and I will be pained to do it again, but it was fun, you know? Oh, sweet. Like marriage. All right. Um, <laughs> what a lame <laughs> joke. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh god uh right. we'll be back in your ears as soon as possible obviously the trade deadline is coming up congrats to Rodion's Karuks and Jared Allen for making the Rising Stars Challenge it is still a travesty that Joe Harris is not in the three-point contest but we will be back in your ears as soon as possible Brian bye everybody yeah boy yeah.